You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. This is a kind of a unique service for us today because it's the day that we as a church are recognizing God's call upon Jeremy's life into the gospel ministry. And so we're ordaining him as a church which is really our response to what God has done. Uh, It's really not something that we're doing as much as we're looking up and saying, okay, God, that's pretty obvious what you're doing in Jeremy's life. We're going to recognize that, and we on this earth are going to pray for him, hold him accountable, and setting him apart to the gospel ministry. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you just to kind of set the tone for this, but Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, talking about God, that he gave the apostles, the prophets... The evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and that's what we're talking about today, pastors or shepherds and teachers, and here's what they do, to equip the saints, the Christians, in other words, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we celebrate this morning, not as much Jeremy as we might say, but we really are celebrating God who has gifted people. Uh, in the church and for various parts and various ministries and pastors in particular, pastors uh, and deacons actually are the two offices that we recognize as a church that we would set them apart and set them aside not as a place of, um, I don't know, a title of prestige as much as just recognizing that they have an authority and a responsibility before God to serve in a a special way to serve the body. And so we come today, guys, grateful that God loves us as a church, that God loves Gilderland, our capital region, to put in our midst someone that He has called and gifted to the gospel ministry. In just a minute, I'm going to ask Pastor Greg and his wife Sammy would be Chelsea's mom and dad, Jeremy's uh, in-laws, Flew, came in, didn't fly, you drove, I guess, from Oklahoma. Uh, good long trip. So uh, past, Greg Pastor's uh, Graceway uh, Baptist Church there in or near Oklahoma City. And so I've asked him to come share. You know, it's kind of intimidating and challenging when you ordain when your father-in-law is the guy who's preaching that. You just don't get away with anything at that point. So, uh, so we're looking forward to it, hearing what you have to say through God's Word. So come on up and share, Pastor Greg. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate that. I want to key off of what uh, Sean just read. Uh, Ordination is one of those things. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you think about it or what you've been taught about it or what you've observed about it, but there's something sometimes that gets a little mystical about it and somebody that's called and they're ordained and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Um, Jeremy's just a regular person. Okay, he's a sinner saved by the grace of God. Okay, he's a saint of God. Uh, when sometimes you think about saints, you think about you know weird statues and things like that. No, it just means someone who is set apart, someone who is saved. In fact, everybody who's born again, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord and uh, repented of your sins and put your full trust in Him, when you were born again, you became, God said, you're a saint, you're set apart. And that's what uh, Jeremy is. Now there's been a a further step in his life to where you all have recognized the call of God upon his life to uh, help shepherd River of Life Church. And that's an awesome thing because um, to put that all on one man is kind of an ominous thing. But when you have a plurality of leadership, then you have people that can pray together, work together, discuss things together. And if one of them's off, 
then there'll be two of them to kind of hold them accountable and bring them back. And uh, it just works really, really well. And they need to be of one heart and one mind. And uh, they also need to be recognized by the church as having the special authority given by the Lord and recognized by the church to actually shepherd the church. You know, a shepherd would be out in front of the sheep. Uh, they don't drive the sheep. They don't push the sheep. They lead the sheep. And so these men are out in front. And when you're out in front, sometimes you take some bullets. Sometimes you take some criticism. Sometimes the sheep don't exactly like where they're having to move. The shepherd would be very good back in the days of the Bible to take the sheep out of the pasture that's kind of uh, playing out and take them to a place where there's green grass and where there's fresh still water for them. And uh, sometimes they would have to walk across some deserts and some dangerous areas, maybe go through some mountains in order to get to that new pasture. And to be sure, the sheep didn't always like that. Why can't we just stay here? We were happy the way we were. Why do we have to change? This is difficult. This is painful. This is hard as we make our way down this direction. And you'll feel that way from time to time. There are going to be some times that they're going to lead you into some things that you say, what is this all about? And why do we have to do that? And it may be even sometimes painful, but you've got to trust the Lord. I didn't say just trust them. I said trust the Lord, that he will work through them because they are the pastors, which is another word for shepherd of the church, and God will work through them in a mighty way. And so uh, we come today to say thank you for loving our kids and Maverick, of course, and uh, thank you for your commitment to the Word of God. Thank you for your commitment to reaching uh, this this uh, region, this district, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are happy at uh, Graceway to be praying for you, to be thinking about you, and helping you in any way that we can. And we hope to be able to do more of that uh, in the future. And so we uh, consider uh, uh, that leadership is is a high high priority in calling. I think some people have thought over the years that ordination is just simply for, you know, these people who are kind of special and set apart and all of that. But I want to kind of key off of a title of a popular television show. Have you ever watched This Is Us? Anybody, anybody seen that? And uh, I, I don't want to uh, talk about the show today, but I do want to use that title because the ordination of Jeremy Davis this morning is really about us. And as Sean just read, and I'll uh, reread that verse, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd, another word for pastor, and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I'm concerned that a lot of times a church may think that what we are doing is we are ordaining and calling people to do the work, and that's not what the Bible says. That's not the goal. The goal here is that you will have leaders who will equip you to do the work of the church. If you only ordain one man and you say, go do the work, then you only get the work that one man can do. If you ordain three men, well, then you're going to get the work that three men can do. That's better. But if you follow the scripture and you say, this is something that is about us, this is for the church, and these three men are sent here by God and set up by God and authorized by God to equip the body of Christ to do the work. So who does the work of the church? It's you. 
It's us. We all are supposed to do it. And so I don't know how many people are here this morning, but instead of just three penetration points in the world, there's uh, somewhere around 100 penetration points. Everywhere you go, carrying the gospel, showing the love of Christ, being a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and of this church, and they are to equip you to do that. And that's an every week type thing. That's a small group type thing. That's personal interaction type thing. And it's also, uh, maybe we would call it an example. Over the years, I've heard people say, boy, I wouldn't want to be a pastor. Boy, you're held to a higher standard. And I asked somebody one time, would you show me what that higher standard is? And uh, we looked in uh, the first chapter of the book of Titus and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we looked at the qualifications, and I said, would you show me uh, anything in there that doesn't apply to every believer? And uh, while there may be some things that are a little bit uh, uh, expanded or a little bit different, uh, nearly everything that you find in there is something that everybody ought to live. In fact, the apostle Peter said that those who are serving as elders or pastors or, or shepherds are supposed to be examples to the flock. I'll ask you this. What good is an example if nobody follows? You see, some people say, you know, uh, leadership. You know, you got to be out in front. Well, if you're leading and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. That's all it is. And these guys don't want to just take a walk. They want to lead you and they want you to follow them. They want you to be joined together with them. They want every man in here to be saying, I may never be called to be a pastor, but I want to live with those same qualifications, a high standard. I want to be different than those around me. I don't want to just be a setter and a getter. I want to be a goer and a teller. I want to be someone <coughs> that knows the word, that loves the Lord Jesus. I want to be someone that can answer questions. I want to be someone that could teach. Maybe it's in a class setting. Maybe it's someday standing up here. Or maybe it's just somebody after church says, I don't understand what Sean said. And uh, maybe you could explain it. Maybe you could teach that person. And they go, you mean what he said is for everyday people like me? Yes, because this is about us. It's not just about him. It's about us. God showering his love on a congregation, setting apart men to be shepherds that equip the saints for the works of ministry so that as we work together and as we are joined together and as we serve together, not only is the body built up, but also as we go out into the world, everyone goes out into the world as a representative and ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about that. This is not just something you're going to watch. This is not just something that you kind of go, good job, Jeremy. This is something to where you go, Lord, how are you going to use this to bless us? And how can I be involved in all of this? And one of the things you learn, and I'd like for you to turn to the book of Philippians. I'll give you a moment and uh, go to the second chapter. It's a fascinating chapter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He loved the church at Philippi very, very, very much. And uh, this is a church that was a good church, 
Uh, he doesn't in this letter address anything like that. They didn't seem to be in any, any danger of, of heresy or any bad doctrine or anything like that. He doesn't rebuke them for immorality or anything. But there is one thing he is deeply, deeply concerned about in chapter 2. And that is the fact that a good, solid, doctrinally sound, unified church, it doesn't take but about five minutes for that to all be fractured. I mean, it can be just somebody that, that says something maybe a little bit negative, and they say something just doesn't seem right, you know, in the church. And this other person goes, well, I've never noticed anything. But now you planted the seed, and they start going, you know, sure enough, something doesn't seem to be quite right. And then you start looking for things that are not right. And maybe the sermon was a little long. Maybe it was too short. Maybe it wasn't in-depth enough. Maybe it was over your head. It doesn't really matter. And the enemy plants those thoughts. And, and you go, you know, yeah, there is something wrong. Maybe the music was too loud. Maybe it wasn't loud enough. Maybe it was too slow. Maybe it was too fast. Maybe you didn't like the way a certain instrument sounded. And you start getting a negative thing about all of that. And then it uh, turns into personality conflicts. Maybe you don't like the way somebody did something, or maybe there wasn't enough coffee out, or maybe somebody didn't uh, talk to you and they didn't shake your hand, or they didn't say the right thing to you, or they didn't recognize you, or they weren't sensitive to something that you were going through in your life. Maybe they kind of forgot about it because they were living life themselves and have their own set of problems. And people begin to kind of pull apart. They begin to get critical. They begin to get negative. And that is what Paul was concerned about would destroy the church. In fact, in a later chapter in this book, he calls the names of two women. How would you like for your pastor to stand up and say, we've got a problem in the church and call your name and another person's name and say, hey, get it together. Well, that's what Paul did. And in this Bible that we have, it's an inerrant Bible, it's infallible, but it's also eternal. You're going to go to heaven someday and you're going to run into somebody and they're going to come up to you and say, Hi, uh, my name is Euodius, I'm from the first century. And you're going to go, you're from Philippi. You're that woman that couldn't get along with Euodius. How would you like for that to be all available for eternity? And uh, so Paul was really concerned, concerned enough to call some people out because disunity will destroy even a good church. I want to caution you on that. And he says, be like-minded. Doesn't mean we all think the same, but we're in harmony together. And then he gives the example of that, and he talks about how Christ came to earth, and he laid aside all of the privileges and prerogatives that he would have as God, the omnipresence and all of those kind of things, to go into a virgin's womb, and then to be born and live on earth. And it says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. That would be enough to kind of get my attention. But Paul then delineates it, even the death of the cross. You see, when Jesus came to die, he could have died any way he wanted to, except that the plan of God was for him to die a very painful, excruciating death, the death of a cross. I mean, if it were me, I would say, I'll go down there and I'll die and just let me die in my sleep. Let me have a heart attack. Let me do something that would just be easy and we'll get this over with. But no, for Jesus to come, he had to come as the Lamb of God to shed his precious, perfect blood for us so that the wrath of God would be poured out upon the Son of God, not upon us. 
And Jesus perfectly fulfilled that by his death on the cross. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. It really is amazing grace, as the song says. And I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've turned from your sins. And I hope you've trusted that Jesus is the only and the full payment for your sin through his own blood. Because an amazing thing happens when you trust Jesus. All of your sin and everything that you deserve, the punishment you deserve for an eternity in hell has been put upon Jesus Christ. And all of His righteousness, His perfection is put upon you. And you are seen differently by God because you become a child of God. You become a son or a daughter of God and you have the righteousness of Christ on your record book. In fact, if you are born again this morning, I tell you, if we could go to heaven and look at your record book, we might open it up and it might say your name. Let's say your name is Bob. And we look up Bob's name here and it says, Heal the leper. And you would go, I've never healed a leper. No, but Jesus did and you got credit for it. Oh, look, preached a great sermon and fed 5,000 people. I've never done that. Yeah, but Jesus did and you get the credit for it. And all of the righteousness of Christ, all of His righteous acts, His deeds, and even His sinlessness is put upon you and your sin is put upon Him. That's great, great news. But that's not really the point of Philippians chapter 2 because it says... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now there's the point, and Jesus is the illustration. We're all supposed to be little Jesuses in a lot of ways. We're supposed to live like Him, to think like Him. No, we won't all go to a cross, and we don't live in first century Israel. But in our day and in our time, we are to take the same sacrificial, obedient, humble, stance that he took and we're to live that way and we're to be like-minded in those things so that the bible says if you were to go to philippians 2 12 paul sums it up by saying therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your salvation or let it work out of you with fear and trembling it's a serious thing for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So do all things without grumbling. Ever grumbled? Ever heard anybody in the church grumble? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. By the way, I don't think that's just in church. I think that's in the home. I think that's on the job. I think that's when you're driving in Albany traffic. Everywhere, right? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of us, see if this describes our world, a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. So this just leads me to uh, a few things. I'll make a few points before we ordain Jeremy. And we're thinking about this is not just about him. This is about God working through him and the other pastors for the benefit of the congregation that we all join together to do these things that Paul spoke about. And I would uh, say, number one, that whenever this happens, 
when these guys are doing their jobs, when they're doing it with joy, when you're following together with them, when everybody is in harmony with one another and in harmony with God and living according to the word of God, I'll tell you something's going to happen. Number one, salvation is going to be confirmed. Now, I don't know about you. I've had doubts about my salvation. I've had times I've questioned it. Am I really saved? Am I really this person? I'll read the Bible and I'll go, I'm so far from that. Am I really a child of God? Have I really had this work of grace done? And then the Holy Spirit almost whispers in my ear that salvation is not about what you have done or what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. See, when I look at myself, all kinds of reasons to doubt. I fall short all the time, just as you do. But when I look at Jesus, I see absolute perfection, the sacrifice taken care of, every sin paid for, and I realize the grace of God has taken care of all of that. And that works out in, li in life like this. Whenever I find someone that I am at odds with, find someone that I don't get along with, I can think about this. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do as he took the hand of a holy God on the cross and then took a hold of a sinner like me and somehow brought us together? No wonder Jesus says in Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers, the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called the sons of God. Why are they called the sons of God? Because in making peace, in bringing harmony, in pulling people together, you're actually doing what Jesus did on the cross. This is the outworking of salvation. We ought to be like him and we ought to be the people that in the church we're pouring water on the, on the fires of dispute and problems and all of that. We ought to be like oil on the troubled waters. We ought to be the ones that are applying the medicine to the wounds and helping people with their problems and with their baggage and with their scars because we all have them and we all come from different backgrounds and it doesn't take very much to bring some of that out uh, 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 the, uh, from our past. And we need people that can help us, the peacemakers. And so our salvation is worked out as we become like-minded, unified together, unified with our leaders and unified with God uh, in the life of our church and in our Christian life. You see, my father-in-law had a, a statement that is kind of you know stuck in my mind a whole lot, and I want you to know it. Christianity is not a way of looking at certain things. It is a certain way of looking at everything. Now let that sink in. It's not just a way of looking at certain things. It's not just about Sunday morning at River of Life. It's not just about the songs or the hymns that we might sing in church. It's not simply about a doctrinal statement or a sermon. This is the way we look at everything in life, everything through the eyes of Jesus. Have you noticed that we're kind of in a little bit of political turmoil in our country? I don't want to look at this through the eyes of an elephant or the eyes of a donkey. I want to look at it through the eyes of Jesus. I want to be a peacemaker in these types of things, in these turbulent times. Have you noticed how easy it is to get somebody to be angry? How easy it is to get somebody to be mad or to pull away or to shut you out or to cut you off? I don't want to be like that. Salvation working out through me, I want to be a reconciler. I want to be someone like Jesus that can be a peacemaker. So when we live like this, our salvation is, con is confirmed in our lives. But secondly, you'll notice that also this is God's will. 
and it says it's his good pleasure. In other words, whenever the will of God is done in a church, God smiles. I want to make my father smile. I want to make my father happy. I want my father to be able to, to point and say, look, look at that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? And to know that it's his work working through me. He gave me the life. He gave me the ability. He, gave, he does everything in us and he does it through us. But when it's the will of God, the will of God brings peace. And the will of God brings us together. And the will of God brings the blessing of God, the power of God, and the smile of God upon a church family. I would like for today to be a day that when we say amen and we walk out the doors, we know one thing, God was pleased. God was happy. But even more so as a pastor... I would like to know that as you go to school tomorrow, as you sit before a professor if you're in college, as you go to work, as you manage people, as you employ people, as you do those things, to know that God is pleased every single day with your attitude, with your work ethic, with the way you represent Him, and with the way you share the truth of the Word of God. This is about the will of God. And basically it boils down to this, the will of God is for us to represent Christ. The will of God is for us to sow seeds and to water seeds and to bring in a harvest of souls. This is not just the job of the pastors. Boy, you go get them, pastor. If we had a good pastor, we'd fill this place up. No, this is about us being a good congregation. This is about us being the children of God. This is about us following the will of God as expressed through the Bible and the shepherds that he has given us so that we go out and do the work of ministry not expect someone else to do it. Someone said it like this, what kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? Say that again. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? I want to ask you a question. If every member were like you, would you be able to have lights on this morning? If every member were just like you, would you have any resources for ministry? If every member were just like you, would there be a positive or negative attitude? If every member were just like you, would it be faithfulness or inconsistency? If every member were just like you, would everyone sit around and say, well, somebody should have done that, instead of saying, why not me? Why can't I not be the one to do that? We ought to work together in that harmony in the will of God. Thirdly, I notice in this passage that when we uh, think about this, our gospel stories are believable. You know, uh, I, I would almost put money on the fact that in Albany you have the same problem as we do in Oklahoma City. You know what that is? People go to church. People say things about Jesus and morality and Bible and that type of thing, but their life doesn't match up. And we live in a world that's so dark, crooked and twisted, the Apostle Paul says here, crooked and twisted, and we're supposed to shine as lights in the darkness. It's when we get together with God, together with His Word, together with those who shepherd us, together with the church, that something powerful happens. We shine out as something different than any other organization on earth because we're not an organization. We're a living organism. We are the body of Christ. This is us. And as we do that, we're different. 
and we live differently, we parent differently, we do our marriages differently, we conduct our finances differently, we have a different attitude, a different spirit, a different motivation in everything that we do. And someone is going to come up to you and say, why? How? And that's your opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And when you're doing it the way I've described it, they don't go, you're a Christian? I worked at a place one time at a warehouse when I was in college, and it was unusual to get hired for a job like that, for a summer job. And some of the guys that work there, some forklift operators and people like that, they're talking to me and they say, how did you get that job? And I said, oh, I know Jim. And they go, oh, he was the manager. And I said, how do you know Jim? I said, I go to church with him. Dead silence. Until one of them says, what kind of church do you go to? And then I knew. This is not the way it's supposed to be, is it? We are supposed to enhance the body of Christ, enhance the testimony of the gospel. And when we live like this, that's exactly what happens. We don't want people to be amazed. You're a Christian. The way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, with the things you do, with the things you don't do, everything, everything, everything needs to enhance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul says this thing in the last part of this uh, passage when he says, I, I want to be proud of you and I don't want to do my work in vain. See, I said earlier, if you think you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. And can I tell you something by experience that these guys, Dan and Sean and Jeremy could tell you, it's lonely when you're just taking a walk. It's discouraging when you're just taking a walk. It's a horrible feeling when you have the mind of God and you say, let's go, gang, and you take off and then you look around and nobody came with you. You feel the burden of it. You feel the weight of it. You feel the discouragement of all of that. Don't let that happen with these guys. Don't let their work be in vain. Don't let the work of the Word of God and the preaching and teaching of the Word of God be in vain. The word vain means empty. Yesterday at Maverick's birthday party, they had bubbles out. And they're doing the bubbles, you know, and all of that. And it's kind of cool. I used to love that when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, I remember chasing, especially the big ones, and trying to catch them. And what happens when you try to catch a bubble? Nothing. That's what the word vain means. The word vain, whenever you read that in the Bible, I want you to think of bubble. Just gone. And Paul said one of his biggest fears was that he would expend so much time, so much prayer, so much energy, so much teaching, so much time in all of that to have it be just pop, empty. That's one of those things that he was afraid of. I want to tell you, your pastors feel the same way. They want to know that what they do matters, that it's significant, that it not only matters because God is pleased, but it matters because it's working in your life. That's what they want you to do. And I'll just sum up by saying, if we go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that he calls, God calls these people to be shepherds, pastors, to equip saints, the congregation, for the works of ministry. How long do they do it? He says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, you guys will never be out of a job, right? So that we, look at that, so that we, this is us, may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which is, it is equipped when each part is working properly. Did you get that? When each part, this is us, each part is working properly, makes one body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's not Pastor Sean's job to grow the church. This is us. It's not Pastor Dan or Pastor Jeremy's job to grow the church. This is us. It's not Jeremy's job to stand up here and worship so we can all watch and go, oh, what great worship. No, this is us. We are to worship together. It's not looking at the Great Commission and saying, well, somebody ought to go out there and reach lost people and tell them about Jesus so we can come out here and hear their testimony and see them baptized. No, this is us. And when there's one person hurting in the body, this is us. We all bear it. When there's somebody that is rejoicing, this is us. We don't get jealous and all mad about all of that. We rejoice together with it. Why? This is us. We are the body of Christ. And guess what? It's not just these pastors and the congregation, but we are joined together, the Bible says, as co-laborers with Christ. Because when we say this is us, we're including God in that too because this is His church and His body that He loves deeply and He loves you too much to allow you to stay the same. Do you hear that? You're being sanctified. And that's the work of a pastor. And that's why Jeremy Davis is being recognized this morning as a God-called man along with uh, his wife, Chelsea, helping him and, and wor working alongside of him and encouraging him. And this is also about the church. This is you saying, we want to go deeper. We want to go further. We want to do more. And so we are ordaining him because we sense God's hand upon his life to help us do the work that God has called us to do. Because today is not just about Jeremy. Oh, it is about Jeremy, but not just about Jeremy. This is us. Can you say amen to that? Does that make sense? So now I'd like to do something and I would like to ask you to stand and I would like for you to bow your heads and uh, join me in a word of prayer. I would love to pray for you. And uh, Jeremy and the band, they're going to come back up here now and uh, then we'll have a time of response. Thank you for listening to me and God bless you. We love you so much and rejoice in all the things that God is doing here. But we do know He wants to do more. He wants to do more in you, and through you for His glory. And it's going to touch the ends of the earth. At my church, I pray regularly, Dear Lord, please let us touch our community. Please let us touch our metropolitan area. Please let us touch our state. Please let us touch our nation. And that's part of the fulfillment of that prayer of Jeremy and Chelsea being here and even us being here today. And oh Lord, let us touch the ends of the earth for the glory of God. I'd like to pray that for River of Life. Would that be a permissible? And ask God to take today and use it as a launch pad, a launch pad for greater things than you could ever ask or think or even begin to imagine for the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? 
Oh, Father, I pray today, first of all, if there is someone here that has never turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ to become a follower of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you're touching their heart right now, and I pray, Lord, that they would respond to that and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, for maybe other people who are watching this service this morning and they've been thinking and, and watching as Pastor Sean has been preaching about ordination and as uh, Dan was ordained and now as Jeremy. Maybe you're stirring in their heart a call to that same type of ministry. We never ever know. It may be somebody very young. It may be somebody old. But I pray that they would respond to that and say, this is the call God has put upon my life. But I also want to pray for this church, that this would not just be a spectator thing this morning, that this would be a participation thing, that this is us, the building up of the body, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry so that we can glorify you in a greater way. Oh, Father, let river of life, may they touch families and individuals and people in this community. May it expand all the way out to the metropolitan area here. May it expand out further to be a light and a gospel witness to the state of New York. And Lord, may it move on to the United States of America. We need that so badly. And let them, by your grace, become the kind of church that is touching the ends of the earth as you commanded us in the Great Commission. May it all begin right now. And may you start a fire that the devil can't put out for the glory of Jesus and bless Jeremy as he's ordained today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.